Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 151. We're recording on Thursday, March 31st. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Well, spring is sprung. It's fully sprung here. And the, oh, boy, yes. I tell you, the, the, the news has sprung. Oh, yeah. Our, it has. our agenda have, is insane. I mean, we, we're long. not going to get to any of this, but there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, we've just trimmed out some other things. This yeah. was a week of like a whole, it's a potpourri kind of week. Yes. There's not a big story. Well, I well, mean, the, the Vita count came out this week. And I guess we, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute after we do the first sponsor. I mean, that's the big story of the week, though. There's not a lot of news, if that makes sense, or it's kind of a, it's another drumbeat in their ongoing project, and we can talk about the results. I don't, there's not a huge change in the numbers or anything like that to report. Uh, at least, at least I don't think so. I mean, right, it's sort yeah, of what I it agree. has been. We can look at it, and um, they've done a couple of different other things, but that's the big news story. But it's not like huge breaking news. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff going around, especially in our ongoing concerns department. We've yes. got JPAT. We've got Marilyn Robinson. Uh, we've got, we got you weird know, book marketing, book marketing stuff. Uh, we've got, you know, stuff that's been found. Um, oh, you didn't even, oh, I've got a, I've got one from critical linking today. You didn't put in here. Uh, I'm gonna have to break my embargo on rediscovered book stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm interested now. Did you look in, at today's critical? Link? You don't know what it gonna is? Be. No, I don't know. What oh, it's okay, gonna be. good. It'll be a surprise. I think, I think you'll understand why I had to, why I had to do it. Um, but anyway, so let, let's do our first sponsor. Who's our first sponsor? We've got Audible. They are back this week. You on the Book Riot podcast uh, community know that we love Audible. Uh, they provide more than 180,000 titles from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazines, newspaper publishers, business information providers. They also have things that aren't books, just other programs that you can listen to that are great. And of course, Audible is fantastic for adding more books to your day. Uh, none of us has enough time to just sit and read, or I don't really think that enough exists. You mm-hmm. know, you always want more. More, but more, more. Audible helps you find those down moments in your day where you can put a book in your ears, even if sitting down to read wouldn't work for you. So I do I do audiobooks while I'm driving. I do audiobooks through my otherwise mundane time on the elliptical machine, walking the dog. I've mm-hmm. listened to some while I'm cooking. I know you're <laughs> like a... I kind of just, when I picture you walking around your house, Jeff, I just imagine that there's sort of perpetually an audiobook happening unless you're... Yeah, that's not, that's not uh, inaccurate, to be honest. Um, if, I, if I have any chance, between podcasts and audiobooks, anytime I'm not actually working or have... You know, if Michelle's hanging around or the kids around, I try not, you know, I try to be, you know, available uh, and around for them. But every other time, I, you know, I'm walking, you know, I'm driving, I'm doing the dishes, doing the laundry, I'm doing bookkeeping, you know, cleaning up the house, doing the laundry, uh, any kind of task where I can. Um, I, I'm on a, you know, I'm on a perpetual march of audiobooks. Can never get enough. Um, and, and always, you know, one thing with Audible 2 is that, you know, I subscribe to the two credits a month plan. Yeah, that's what um, I do too. And that seems to be between my podcasts and two audiobooks a month. That's about the right fit for me. I listen to six or seven podcasts that are weekly. So I also do a lot of podcast listening. Um, and then I also, the, the business books that I've been reading mostly in some nonfiction, a lot of them are pretty long, 15, 16, 17 hours. So that's, that's a fair amount of listening into your week. But one thing I found too is that since it takes me a pretty good long time to get through an audiobook, I'm already finding out about other audiobooks I want. Like, I never have sort of a gap. You know, the, the, the reader's gap happens when mm-hmm. you get to the end of the book and you haven't already decided what you're reading like, next. What next? And you can sort of go through a, you know, a caesura, to use a Wait, poetical are you, term. Are you talking about a TBR? Well, sort of, yeah. I, again, my TBR Zero has taken many hits over the years since starting this, <laughs> this, this particular nutty project. But I do often have in mind what's next, or at least a couple ideas of what's next. But with Audible, you can do like a wish list. You don't buy them yet, but you put them in a wish list. So you can sort of hear about it, 
and then put it on there. And then when you're up, you decide you can see what's everything right in the app, yeah. um, which is super nice to do. I find well. that extremely useful yep. to one of our contributors. Wallace is on a reading kick of Nora Ephron mm. right now. And I've never read Nora Ephron. So I shot her one of those like, what do I do? Where do I start? I want to read Nora Ephron texts the other day. And she said she's listening to Heartburn on audio right now and that it's great mm. and hilarious. And so I've got I've used my two credits for March already. So I've got them uh, got that queued up to go for April. Um, Audible's app is free, folks. It works on iPhones, iPads. Android, Windows Phone, and your Kindle Fire, and over 500 MP3 players. Uh, I really want to see a full list of what all of those are, just so I can know how many MP3 players exist in the world that I've never heard of. Yeah, before. we need like a, you need a, one, you know like those uh, cop uh, those cop uh, pictures they do when they like confiscate a bunch of like guns or drugs or something like they put yeah. them out on the table. <laughs> right. We need one of those from Audible. It's like here are all the here are all the players we currently support. Right. Uh, unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your books. You can access them anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone, including if you stop subscribing to Audible. Yep. You own them no matter what you do with your account down the line. And as we've talked about previously, they also have what they call the great listen guarantee. If you decide at any point in listening to an audiobook that you don't like it for any reason, maybe the narrator's not right, maybe the content isn't what you thought it would be, whatever, you can exchange the book that you're not happy with for any other title, any other time, no questions asked. We've both done this. It really is a seamless process. Um, I'm currently listening to Originals, which you recommended Mm -hmm. last week. It is really interesting uh, for our friends who perhaps are not so into the businessy books. Let me just vocally recommend again Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes um, about the year that she realized she didn't say yes to really any of the cool things that people asked her to do or cool opportunities that were offered to her because she was scared. Uh, So she took a year to say yes to all of them. And she wrote this wonderful book about it. And it's empowering and funny and really wonderful because she's Shonda Rhimes and so much like uh, having a smart, inspiring, very wise new friend along for whatever activity Mm -hmm. you're doing at the time. Uh, If you've not done audiobooks or you want to try Audible, you can go uh, to get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to Audible Podcast com slash book riot today to start your free trial. It shows your support for the show and you get to try it out for 30 days for free. And as always, if you want some recommendations, you can just hit us up on Twitter and we'll be happy to do that. So yeah, thanks also, to Audible. Also, you could email the Get Book podcast. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, Amanda and Jen Northington host weekly Get Booked, uh, one of our other podcasts, and that's a reader recommendation. So exclusively, they take reader recommendation requests. So um, audiobooks are fair game. Both of them listen to audiobooks, right? Yeah. They do both of them. They, I believe they do. Yeah. Um, Where do you want to start this week? We got well. Let's so get. We mentioned the Vita, stuff. so let's get into that a little bit. Um, do you have a top level takeaway from this before we look at you know uh, anything else? Well, I think there's two big points Mm -hmm. about Vita this year. There was one big change that they made, and they're calling this year the year of intersectional thinking. So the Vita count began as just looking at um, reviews, the gender of the author whose work was reviewed in literary publications, and then the gender of the reviewer. Um, And now they have expanded to include race and sexual orientation when Mm -hmm. that information is available. So there are detailed reports here about the representation of women of color, Um, in literary publications and uh, sexuality. There's even disability count. And you can read about how they did that was by um, reaching out to people whose work was reviewed in literary publications or people who had reviewed work in literary publications and asking them to complete a survey. Um, So it's self-report data and you can find out how many people participated, how many reported. Um, But Vita has really uh, stepped up to say, you know, publishing is not, doesn't just have an inclusivity problem when it comes to Um, gender, but we have a problem with representation on all of these different vectors. And so let's start to take steps to look at them. They've got the reports are really interesting. It's not a ton of reading. Like if you set aside a half hour of your week, you could go through all of the information that they've got here and really have a solid idea of what the methodology was. Um, The my takeaway is like, I think it was Derek Attig, one of our contributors, said this week on Twitter, like, the Vita count is always totally fascinating and totally depressing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's the story. The numbers are still not great. Um, But there is continued progress. And um, that's encouraging that they started this count to point attention to a problem and the act of calling attention to the problem has resulted in in change that um, is becoming meaningful. So mm-hmm. I'm not entirely depressed about it. What do you think? Um, yeah, I'm not entirely depressed about it either. Um, I think I think the 
I think the larger story is still the same. Like there, there, there we still have some real bad actors here. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked about them before. New York Review of Books, among the 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 famous publications that yeah. looks Harpers. just glancing, like you know, some of them continue to be uh, to laggards when it comes to this. London Review of Book, we've called them out before about this. The Atlantic's not especially good. Some places are good. Boston Review's been good. Grant has been good. Um, yeah. You know, the New Yorker the Paris has, Review's not particularly good. The New Yorker fluctuates. The New York Times Book Review, uh, it almost looks to me like in their book review, like their pie for book reviewers is almost 50-50 on the nose. Men, mm-hmm. women, um, women slightly outnumber men. Book reviewers, authors' views is still more men. But, you know, some of these places we know, Tin House is another one we've heard, um, poetry make um, efforts in this regard, uh, so, so some of it has gone through. Oh God, the TLS, the Times Literary Supplement, and maybe the worst one. <laughs> also, because just the volume, there are just so many. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a thousand reviewers last year, um, and still it's almost seventy. It's sixty-five, thirty-five uh, men and women, and and very and vanishingly small diversity. Um, you know, people of color. Uh, mm-hmm. So, there, there's. The, I think that the beat continues, and the watchdogging continues. I, I, the thing, you know, we've been following this long enough now. The thing that strikes me now is, boy. There's a lot of information here, mm-hmm. and the top level at a glance takeaway is not super obvious. So, just in terms of the reporting, because uh, we're looking, I mean, each publication gets a nice huge infographic with like one, two, three, four, five, 11 pie charts um, mm-hmm. and four bar graphs, uh, up to five bar graphs per publication. So, the information density is crazy. And one thing I've learned about information density and this amount of information is people will just like your eyes just blur out. Yeah. It feels like there could or should be some meta analysis here. That's like one chart of overall for the main literary publications for the big, uh, you know, for Harper's, the New York review of books, that kind of thing. And then an overall one for the literary journals. And then something that combines all the data of Mm -hmm. like, so of everything that we surveyed here are, here's the total look. Um, And if you want to take the deep dive, you can take, Yep. the deep dive. Um, it would be, yeah, it would be interesting. Um, they have that data. So I wish that we could see it. <laughs> I, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to pick nits, but in terms of being a, um, I don't know, a document of change, especially for our kinds of readers, right. Who maybe don't necessarily care, you know, the breakdown of Granta's, uh, reviewing staff, you know, mm-hmm. that individually. But if we could get one number in a nice pie chart that we could put, for example, on our Tumblr or Pinterest, you know, an easily shareable top level thing of like in 2015, among the 29 publications we studied, there were X percent of the books reviewed were by women. X percent were um, of the, the reviewers were women. X percent were by trans women. X percent by were women. Just like give us the, the six things we're really trying to take. Because the other thing I think is a little bit difficult is, you know, no one's really talking about what, um, you know, success looks like. What does, where's the promised land here? And um, we've talked a little bit about the show is like, you know, it seems a reasonable expectation that over time we'll get towards where the literary landscape looks something like the larger uh, American landscape or North America or whatever, you know, um, mm-hmm. what, what is it, the percentage that we're going to look at someday and say, you know what, we don't need to do the Vita count anymore, you know, just hypothetically. Sure. Um, and so are we making progress towards that or, or are some places there already or some places they not? Um, that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing I think at a top level position, especially for our readers, um, you know, that would be nice to have. I think if you're an editor for one of these journals, that they broke down your particular publication, I think is a great service to you, whether you think of that or not. I think it's a great service to them. But it's not super interesting, I think, for a general bookish sort of person. But that's that's one request. But uh, just because I found like, I'm little, I mean, it took me an hour. I was looking through all these very, I was like, boy, I'm law. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. to, to think about here. And it becomes so much, it's hard to even know where to attach the locus of your attentions or effort. Right. If you are the editor of, say, Granta, and it looks like your gender breakdown is 50-50, you can feel, okay, like, I'm doing, we're doing a good job. We're hitting our target mm-hmm. there. We want to be doing 50-50 gender. And so then maybe you spend some more time looking at the other places where you're not doing as well. But right. you're right, like, for an overall measure of how 
are literary publications doing here, it would be so, so useful to have like the one master infographic, like yeah. one chart to rule them all. Uh, and then the deep dive uh, as well. Um, I've, maybe I'm feeling tempted to like do that. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> maybe you, I'll email. You haven't, you know, been, in, you haven't some, spent six hours in a spreadsheet in a few days, so you're probably get you have the shakes <laughs> a little bit, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, it's been a week or two since I spent a day crunching numbers on a thing. Uh, it would be super interesting to get the the overall picture. And there's some there's some narrative stuff that Vita does on the page mm-hmm. here to talk about uh, the overall trends, but it would be very useful to be able yeah. to see that. Um, you know, I think this is a thing that we now know is valuable because it has resulted in some change. And so maybe also a longitudinal look and yeah. like go backwards and do yes. the like, okay, yes, we did fewer publications the first year, but here's what the averages looked like when we started this. And here is how it's progressed uh, over the last few years. And just, I mean, this is a, it's just a ton of work. Mm -hmm. Um, My hat is all the way off. Oh yeah. I have no hats. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I'm not, I don't think you're down on Vita. Um, I just think it's important. Uh, The work they do is so complicated, uh, so important and they do it for basically no money. Uh, And we really appreciate the service well, and they're this, providing. And the, the next level stuff they've done this year, the intersectional stuff about gender identification and, and, um, and the stuff they added last year about race and ethnicity, that, that's, that is um, yeoman's work. You know, you, you've got to ask specifically the questions of the people to say how they identify. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just go byline, byline, byline and say, well, that's Jennifer and that's John. You know, that's the, that doesn't work. Um, there's a lot of heavy lifting that goes into it. I mean, selfishly, the other reason I'd like a top-level infographic is to fight off some of the, well, actually, there's not sexism in books. I just want to read good books, you know, people we get. <laughs> right, and it'd be right, so right. nice just to have the, the JPEG of the URL. I was like, well, I mean, here's the, here, here's the, here's the number, so, you know, <laughs> do with that. Right. Would you just, just as a kind of a keep it as a text expander. Yeah, when um, we do our State of the Literary Union thing that we're talking about, it would be great to have mm-hmm. this this like master number uh, as one of those at a yeah. glance, where is publishing uh, kinds of things, but, but so much, so much information. And there are so many literary publications that I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, that's an interesting like sub piece of this is to be reminded how really how big and how deep the literary landscape yeah. is like, Oh, there's a journal I just didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vita has done such a, remarkable job being responsive to the criticism that they've received in the past, which is it's not just enough to look at gender. There are other issues that need to be discussed. And if we're going to do this, we should, we need to make an attempt to do it more fully. Uh, And they really listened and figured out a way to do it. And there's no way that's going to make everybody happy. Um, But they are doing something Mm -hmm. uh, and something pretty remarkable. And that's a lot more than most. I mean, in, and this, I don't think this is Vita's purview necessarily. The, I mean, the other data point that would go hand in hand with this is something about the actual books published, similar mm-hmm. data about the books published, which is another completely thorny, in in a way, actually completely nuttier task than this. Because this you keep to, I mean, as crazy as the data set they're looking at here is, it's what, 30 journals all told? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't even do a count, but I'm just scrolling through it. That seems about right. Whereas you're looking at hundreds of, of uh, at least 10,000 books, you know, even if you just yeah. look at the big five, I mean, I don't even know how you would do it, but that would be the number to correlate to is like, mm-hmm. is it, you know, where are the vectors of crappiness and representation here coming from? <laughs> I mean, I think they're coming from all angles, right? But some of it is garbage in, garbage out. Like if there are 65, 35 ratio men to women published in general, then it kind of makes sense that the reviewing will be skewed, you know, like just to get a sense of the relative, you know, value, like wh- where are all the imbalances? Sure. Um, yeah, that would be like kind of what the um, Children's yeah. Book Council does, but that's a much, that's that's still a huge task and it's a much smaller Oh, it's horrible. You'd have to sort published. of start like Vita did where you start with, I don't know, a couple of imprints yeah. or something. Or the, like Knopf the, or FSG or like one of the prestige right. ones, the New York Times yeah. book review of, of, of imprints like, and sort of build out from there. In the, you know, 
anic data idiosyncratic sample of that for I think for three months at the end of the year last year, Amanda and uh, Kelly and Swapna and I like our editorial team tracked all mm-hmm. of the books that we received in the mail from publishers. And um, we tracked gender and the author's race and only like 6% of the ones that I received were by people were by anyone who wasn't white mm-hmm. uh, out of like thousands of books over or not thousands over three months, but several hundred over the course of three months. Um, and the gender split was not as noticeable. I think it was like, I think it was about 60, 40 mm. um, for books by men. Uh, but I read a lot of literary stuff. So people send me a lot of books right. by men. Uh, did, I tell you, did, I, did I tell you what I'm working on for the year? A similar kind of project? I'm doing it anyway. I'm mm-hmm. doing something, but I'm tracking the, the ads for books in the New York Times book review. Oh, no. I'm keeping track of them. At the end of the year, I'm going to do sort of a gender race breakdown of who gets that the ad be, dollars in the New York Times book review. That'll be very interesting. Um, I, a preview. We're a quarter in. Not great, uh-huh. Bob. Yep. Yeah, I know you're not, shocked. but I'm uh, just, this is my surprised face. Um, it's not as bad as you might, it, it could be. Tony Morrison was in, I mean, there's, there's a couple of, there's been a couple of big ads so far. Uh, and there's not that many per issue, like only, you know, at the most like five or six. Um, some days there's only like three for specific titles, but a, a very interesting cross section of like where the big time advertising because that that's the I don't even know that's the Super Bowl I mean, basically the Super Bowl ad of the book world is a mm-hmm. full page full color ad and some of them, uh, what was I saw recently I can't remember I there's a two a two page spread full color um, which is. I, my, I'm given to believe upwards of $100,000 Holy um, cats. To, to spend. Okay. Well, um, All right. we said we weren't going to, you know, there wasn't much to say, but we, we done found something. <laughs> Good job, Vita. Uh, Good job, while ta- Vita. While we're talking representation, we should just mention uh, the story about Kirkus Reviews. We actually don't have a story. I've yet to see like a written thing of this or a letter oh, from the editor yeah. or whatever. But this week, Linda Sue Park tweeted uh, that Kirkus Reviews kid and teen section beginning on April 4th first, uh, will identify the race of all of the characters uh, in books that are being reviewed, including white characters. Uh, and she says, default, default button off. This is big. Uh, and this is big. And I want to sh- give shouts to Kirkus for that, because pretty much up until now, it's been assumed mm-hmm. that if a character's race is not specified, the character is white. Uh, and if a reviewer is not specifying the race of a character in a book, the characters must be white, uh, which default whiteness and the automatic othering of anyone who's not white uh, certainly contribute and are huge parts of the problem uh, in the lack of representation that we talk about here all the time. So it's really excellent to see a publication, especially one as important uh, in literary reviewing, take this step to say, if you're going to be describing your character's races, you're going to be describing all of your character's races, uh, that Jeff is white and Mm -hmm. this other character is black and, um, you know, that we can take that step. We don't need to be defaulting to white. There's lots and lots of research. Uh, if you are doubting me that people just make default assumptions about the whiteness of characters, there is a pile of research and you can Google your way uh, to that as well, that when it's not specified, people assume white, hetero, uh, you know. Yeah. So one of the job, best Kirkus. examples of unconscious bias, I think, that sort of thing, where mm-hmm. the, de- oh, yeah. the, the absence of information tells us information and mm-hmm. we just fill it in. I mean, it's sure. not just it's if you're like, white. It's if you've grown up in um, a dominant culture of any kind, the default the default sort of identity, or it's not even the, the default identity for the assumed identity, the powerful identity, is gets all kinds of weird privileges. Um, yeah, and that's and it, one of them. Right. And the default really in America is a white, heterosexual, cis male. Right. Um, and it pops up in such interesting ways. Like I know, I know we talk about unconscious bias all the time. Just really recently, I was talking to a new friend that I didn't know very well. And she was telling me a story about her boss. And I was like, Oh, well, what does he do? Like I, and then it came out of my mouth. Oh, I was like, oh. and it was a she or, or right. a non he. Necessarily. Right. It was a non he. And I was like, well, that is, isn't that interesting? Mm, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Look what I've got on me. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, very, and, and Kirk is probably for professional reviews. They do as much, they, 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 they harvest as much hay in reviewing as anybody out there. So that's a big deal mm-hmm. for them. And they get cited yeah, on Amazon. They get put on book covers. Like, that's a big deal. They're, they're a visible um, and prolific reviewing organization and prestigious. So that's a big deal for them to do. Yeah, very um, cool to see that happening. And an ongoing story is James Patterson. 
Uh, he's back. He he's going to get his own corner. Announced this year uh, that he's going to give another $1.7 million to school libraries this year, much like last year. Um, you you can apply. Your library can apply. Scholastic.com slash Patterson, Patterson Partnership. Um, libraries, booksellers, bookstores, bookshots, um, a busy... <laughs> The James Patterson commercial. The James Patterson Industrial Complex is like a real thing, um, <laughs> and so I just we you know we we talked about bookshots last week and didn't love it, um, so we're gonna give uh, equal coverage to things we do love. It's a hell of a job um, from yeah. Patterson. Money where your mouth is is always appreciated. All speaking of donations, we just run a couple through these. B.J. Novak, mm-hmm. um, who has has become a literary person. Uh, yes. you know, what was that? One more thing is a book of short stories. And then, then mm-hmm. the big seller was the book with no pictures, a kid's book, which I have a copy here that my kids love. Um, oh, it's such a good read aloud. Uh, he's going to give away 5,000 copies of that book. And then ping, ping young readers, his publisher is giving away another 5,000. Um, so he's getting in the philanthropy game. So those are good jobs from Patterson and BJ Novak. That book sold a lot and it continues to sell by the way that book with no pictures for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really popular. Really popular. It was on the, the children's bestseller list all through, I guess, 2014. Was that the year it came out? I, anyway, I can't really remember. Uh, I think so, yeah. Anyway, um, I guess let's go through ongoing, let's go through lines here. Marilyn Robinson. Okay. Yes. Um, Marilyn Robinson. Won the Library the... of Congress Prize for American Fiction. Yes, she did. Um, it is a Lifetime Achievement Award. Um... And she's going to receive it at the 16th Annual National Book Festival in Washington this fall. Um, so I'm going to find a way to be there, I tell you what. Yeah, so, you know, um, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, I kind of would have assumed that she'd already won. I mean, I assume she, she and, and Morrison, I assume, have won all the awards. Remember, I think we talked about this on one of the show <laughs> right. with Amanda. Well, and Morrison has uh, won this one already. Yeah, right. So, but, but that's not even the big news here for me. The big yes. news here is she declined to confirm rumors about a new book set in Gilead, but she did say, I have been fiddling around with a new novel, but I don't want to be more specific than that. Um, mm. She also said that um, with the character she's created, she has enough stories to tell for a lifetime. So I think it's another, I think it's, I think we're looking at another Gilead. Oh, I want the Jack the, Botton book so bad. Yeah, or Jack Botton's why. I mean, that's, I mean, that was, that's the one you want, or I, I want. That would be the yes, that yeah, would be the true. biggest mm-hmm. divergence from what she's done. A black it woman would. from a St. Louis is where she's from. Is that right? Or Memphis? I think it's, it's Memphis. Memphis, yeah. Um, one of those Mississippi River towns. Um, so anyway, th- so those of you who um, uh, get out your divining rod and put it into the air every now and again <laughs> to sort of detect tremors of a new Robinson book, um, your stick should be shaking this week. Um, Okay. Now, okay. Let's see. Where where else are we going to go? Where, let's where see. We got to go talk. Here? We have to talk about this Ariana Huffington. Thing. <laughs> the, we have. You to and talk I were about bantering this. about this on Twitter yesterday. So listen, <laughs> I, I I'm going to play. Don't. Before we tell the story, if you were to give me a Mad Libs, where I had to fill out the following things: a place I don't want to go, an activity <laughs> I don't want to do, and a person I don't want to spend any time with, you might get. Um, Las Vegas, commercial air travel, and Ariana Huffington. Just maybe. Just maybe, because this, this is uh, this is her new book Let's... called "The Sleep Revolution." It's her book about sleep, I guess. She's a. I would assume. Yeah, um, and the the award the the jackpot grand prize promotional thing is a trip to to, to Las Vegas with Ariana Huffington on JetBlue. <laughs> the... The tweet that like set this off was when you you saw something and retweeted her saying like it's like s- sleep on an overnight flight with me. Yeah. So like it's okay. We all know what airplanes like commercial mm-hmm. airplanes are like and what that experience is like. So you're entering to win the opportunity to wait in a TSA line yeah. and then to get onto a plane that also holds Ariana Huffington. Yes. But like how much meet and greet are you going to do while on a plane and it's an overnight flight because the book is about sleep so you're also going to sleep on a plane which is totally the most comfortable and then we get there in las vegas the least (laughs) sleep conducive city in north america (laughs) right and you get it it was the tweet was so good it was like take an overnight like sleep on a plane and stay in an airbnb in las vegas sleep on a plane and then in a stranger's bed i mean honestly if you if the book was about insomnia the the award would be better like, who wants this? I don't. I don't understand. Uh, I guess like, if you want to go to Vegas, 
and you just, you know, uh, Huffington happens to be in first class. Uh, this is the, it's the, like, maybe the weirdest book marketing that I've ever seen. I, I'm sure no, I've no, seen no. weirder, but like. The, the actually getting a dragon tattoo saying yeah, that, that takes the cake. This is like a Frankenstein of like four bad ideas. <laughs> it's like, you know, the meeting in which this occurred, right? They're like, okay, so the book is about sleep. But you can't like do an event. I get. I mean, maybe they have JetBlue as a partner, so like, okay, we can do something with plane. I I, I don't get it. I know. I, very, the, very like, you know what I would enter? I would enter a giveaway for a retreat where I get to sleep for four days. Like, send me to a beautiful place in yeah, the country I, that's quiet where I'm going to eat like local I organic food, I and I will let it. Ariana Huffington talk to me about the sleep revolution all the live long day, and then I will go sleep for ten hours a night and like. Have Casper mattresses get on board and sponsor a thing, whatever. Like, how? Why? Let's go to Vegas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And I just, this makes my soul cry for how much money a publisher is spending to host this giveaway and then also to pay for people to get on planes and have Airbnb. And maybe Airbnb, like, gave away the credit. Maybe the publisher's not spending any money. But, like, we hear all the time about how publishing budgets are being cut and everybody's looking really closely at the return on their investment for advertising, and then you see crap like this. Yep. Uh, on, on the other hand, um, in, in interesting sort of book publicity promotion things... Oh, good. I thought you were going to do, like, a generous reading of the no, Ariana Huffington thing, and I was like, wait, no. I've got nothing. Um, this story, this was uh, the story that got passed around. I mean, Vita got passed around a bunch on the bookish mm-hmm. internet this week. But this other one is uh, The Sleeper, The Dark Horse, which is these stacks of, of books that have been being left around New York City. Yes. Very interesting. So um, I'm not sure that we know what's going on necessarily, but this this guy, um, Shay Shaharayar Malik, I'm so sorry about your butchering the name. He's been leaving stacks of books from his own library at popular destinations over New York. And what he does is he doesn't stick around to see who takes it or sort of come back to him, but he leaves a bookmark with his email address inside each book and sort of asks if, you know, you pick it up, tell me the story about why you picked it up or what happened. Um, and he says, basically, he, he wanted the, his books to live their own lives and get them out into the world um, and thought this would be a cool thing to do. There's a bunch of awesome images. There's one on the, yeah. the Brooklyn Bridge, um, Central Park, the High Line, pedestrian footbridges in swings, um, in playgrounds, uh, in elevators. Very cool. I, I highly recommend looking at the photo set. And an interesting idea of sort of bringing books out into the world, like out of the library and off the bookshore stel- shelf, out of your personal collection, and sort of making them, I guess, sort of public art installations as much as anything is what they seem like to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently the stack has a note that reads, take a book, any book, when you finish, email the artist. So there is certainly a public art angle to it. He's done eight locations so far. And these are not small stacks of books. Each one has consisted of 45 to 55 books. He puts yeah. them in his car. He transports them from home by car. And then he uses a little hand trolley mm-hmm. uh, to, to get them there. He said he's received 70 emails from over 30 countries. Wow. And not all of them, um, it says not all the books have been read, which means it could keep going uh really cool very cool and the, the photos are really beautiful i like this so there's Please a carry there's on. a um link in the show notes for this episode go to bookrack.com slash listen you can navigate to the episode notes for this or the show notes for this episode and i highly We've, recommend taking a look at the pictures there yeah we got to roll on to our next sponsor yeah, tell me about week. what's our next sponsor we have penguin random house audio yeah we do. Is back. Uh, they have a cool listen while you garden prize pack this time around. So if you're, you know, busting out your green thumb, if you have more skills in the garden uh, than I do, I kill a basil bush every year. Um, <laughs> this might be for you. Spring has officially sprung, I think, everywhere, or at least it's on the way. So if you're spending some time outdoors, you want to be uh, listening while you're digging through the dirt. Uh, the giveaway includes uh, four titles. There's the High Mountains of Portugal, Rose Harbor in Bloom, A Few of the Girls by Maeve Binchy, and a book called At the Edge of the Orchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
you know, we've we talked already on this show about how audiobooks are great companions while you're doing just about anything, but especially this season when you could really just live outdoors. Uh, so go yeah. to tryaudiobooks.com to get listening suggestions that'll keep you busy all season. They also have a little generator where you can put in the kind of audiobook you're listening, you're looking for and how much time you want it to take. Uh, and also suggestions for different hobbies if listening while you plant is not your bag. Uh, again, it's tryaudiobooks.com for suggestions. Check out Penguin Random House Audio. They've got just a ton, and their audiobooks do tend to be produced very well. And you can also keep an eye out for the gardening prize pack with the four audiobooks. I've got a, I've got a quick PRH audiobook. My list, my current one's a PRH title. Oh, um, okay, go for it. The Mind Club by Daniel M. Wagner and Kurt mm. Gray. And basically, what it is, it's about. It's not about who is who what the mind is, but more about how we perceive minds, like what characteristics and traits in say. Other people, um, in animals, in robots, and software, where we sort of are trying to navigate the different parts of what we understand a mind to be. Really interesting stuff. And so, like, you know, what features does a, a, a robot need to have for us to think of it as having a mind? Um, oh, where does the line become between a human having a mind and not having a mind? So, you know, clearly, if you're dead. Well, but some mm-hmm. people believe in the afterlife. Does that mean you have a mind? Or even if you don't, okay, but what if they're in a vegetative state? What if they've suffered traumatic brain injury? What if you're asleep? It's like all the weird boundaries we put around consciousness and what it means to have a mind. Um, they break it down into basically two categories, the moral actor and the moral subject. So if you can do things to other people or have things done to you, we kind of think of you as having a mind, which is kind of hmm. interesting. But the the full the fullest expression of our understanding of mind is, is you have both of those things. You're both subject to and can subject to other minds to pleasure or pain or scrutiny or pleasure, or curiosity, whatever. Um, and they did this really huge study asking a bunch of questions of people of, you know, their relative perceptions, their relative comfort about different kinds of things, you know, um, bir- birds that can count, monkeys that can use sign language, <laughs> you know, all like, does this have a mind? How much mind does it have? And there are a lot of really interesting stuff. So if you're into sort of um, neurobiology, psychology, um, sociology, really interesting book. I, I've really, I've really gotten a lot out of it so far. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Really good. The Mind Club by da- uh, Daniel Wegner and Kurt Gray. Uh, that's if you from wanna... uh, Viking. Yeah, if you want to put something on your audio wish list that's Penguin Random House, I just read, but I've heard the audiobook is excellent also. Um, the regional office is under attack. I've heard by a lot Manuel about this Gonzalez. too. Yeah, this is the one book I read on vacation. I love him very much. Uh, and his collection of short stories from a few years ago, The Miniature Wife, is one of my favorite. But this book is it's bonkers. Uh, these people, these two like supervillain types decided that they were going to like take down all of the evil forces in the world so they recruit young women who seem to have this certain like set of traits that they want them to have and they train them to be assassins or oracles and the book bounces between the perspectives of basically two super assassins one of Mm. whom is kind of a cyborg um, who are uh, on opposite sides of this battle and one of them like there's an attack then on the the regional office the organization that fights evil is called the regional (laughs) office (laughs) it's so excellent Uh, and so it's like you can it's just great. It's action-packed. Um, if you liked Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway, this was the first book that rang those same bells uh, for me in quite a while. It's bonkers and so, like, Manuel Gonzalez just delights in the weird things that he has his characters do and in how far uh, he can push the story of, like, recruiting these young girls and then who was the mole inside and who planned this attack on the regional office and how did this girl become a cyborg in the first place? And it's so it's just so excellent and weird and kind of defies description. I've been thinking for a couple of weeks about how I'm going to talk about it on all the books the week that it comes out. Uh, so instead, just put the audiobook on your list. It's called The Regional Office is Under Attack. It'll have you rolling. Awesome. Um, all right, let's do a few more stories. Um, I guess this is sort of continuing in the um, creative uses for books category. Okay, all right. You see where I'm going here? I do. I know um, where you're going. So this charity shop, uh, charity shops, I guess we call thrift stores. This charity shops is what the, the Brits over there call their their thrift stores. Um, that an Oxfam outpost, Oxfam is their is the big philanthropic, one of the big philanthropic organizations in the UK. They have received literally hundreds of copies of Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy, all you know, all all three. Well, I guess now mm-hmm. four, um, as donations, and they can't they can't move them 
you know, they, they're so the time many, has passed. The time has passed. So they have so many that they built a giant book fort at the receiving desk out of copies of Fifty Shades of Grey. And it is very impressive. It's a very well fortified fort. Yeah, it's got, you know, um, it's got like uh, feathered <laughs> joints, you know, uh, it's, it's, it looks like it's about six feet tall by about 15 feet wide. Um, mm-hmm. With a little crawl space, so you can actually get through <laughs> it to behind. Uh, it, there's got to be. I mean, they're hundred easily, yeah. <laughs> easily hundreds, easily hundreds. This is so excellent. This is one of those things that you also know how this came about. Somebody was like, "Okay, we have these four hundred boxes yeah. of Fifty Shades of Grey." Well, what do you? I mean, <laughs> literally, what else are you supposed to do with them? <laughs> right, and like it must like say it's a rainy day and no mm-hmm. one's shopping, and a couple of the employees were like, "All right, this is what's going to happen." Yeah. And also, it, it provides some nice private space. I have to say, <laughs> like, sure. You, you know, know if you need to like, wall. if you need to take like a little George Costanza under the desk nap, you just crawl through <laughs> your your literal book fort. Uh, it's so excellent. This is. It just feels like this is the latest. I remember a couple of years ago not being able to go into a used bookstore or like a Goodwill without seeing piles of Twilight. Like, oh yeah. What? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that like it's happened with the Hunger Games and probably with the Allegiant books. Like anything that just sells goes, a jillion copies. That, right. That just sells a jillion copies. Those jillion copies are going to go somewhere when people clean them off of their shelves. I've never seen anything like this. I do remember a couple years after the Da Vinci Code came out oh, when I yeah. was mo- I used to have a closer used bookstore um, when I lived in Lawrence. Uh, mm-hmm. And they had just, every week there was a whole bunch of them. So if, you, if you're interested in Fifty Shades of Grey, don't buy it new. Go find it at a used bookstore. Because <laughs> dollars to donuts, they've got a copy right. there. And if you've got a used copy that you're looking to do something with, yeah, maybe don't give don't it know. to the charity bookstore. Don't, don't give them to the Oxfam shop in Southwest. Oh, maybe they're going for like a full skyscraper or a small hut. They can make a village. They you can know. make like a whole village. Unfortunately, books are possibly the least durable uh, external building material you can imagine because they get wet and they catch fire super easily. Uh, so that's a really, you know, not that I live with an architect or anything, but Michelle would say, <laughs> yeah, no, this is this this itself right now as it is, is a huge pile of kindling. Uh, yeah. Well, you don't want anyone to come storm your castle when you've made them. No. No, that's books. true. That's true. But it's a it's a cool way to spend an afternoon yeah. building a fort. Yeah, and I guess and for those of you out there who get nervous about what happens to books and destroying them, this is what happens if you don't destroy them. You get book forts. I mean, they're gonna have to get rid of them at some point. I mean, this is just an right. This oh, is yes. just sort at of some a point, Fifty Shades Purgatory for these. Copies. Right. At some point, those are either getting thrown away or recycled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what happens. Okay. Uh, should we go to the Department of Things Lost and oh, Things Found? Oh yeah, I, I forgot. I, so this is a crazy story. Um, the part of the thing, so I'm breaking my embargo and because I'm going to say, I'm going to, 13,000 volumes. Oh. Nazis. What? Books about the occult. Okay. I'm here for whatever see, this see, is going to be. I knew you would. So Heinrich Himmler, you know, one of the high mm-hmm. ups for the Nazi party was huge into occult. And, and there was a, there's a group of the higher ups in the Nazi party that were into witches, sorcerers, black magic, supernatural. They thought it was about the rise. They thought they could tap into it. Like the stuff you see on Hellboy or something like that is only like kind of part way of divorce from the truth in terms of how interested the Nazis, some of the Nazis were in like the occult. Well, Himmler acquired 13,000 books about witches, the occult dark magic, supernatural, the whole, you know, the whole array, okay. of Wiccans, the whole thing. And they found them? Did they find them? And they've them? been missing for 55 years. And they just showed up in like a room in the National Library of the Czech Republic. What? Isn't that crazy? So like someone just hasn't looked carefully in that room well, for a while? Well, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea about the administrative quality of Eastern European <laughs> National Libraries. And I can, really? I'm, you know, I can't know everything. Um, but it's apparently that it's sufficiently complicated that you could lose 13,000. Co- I mean, that's a lot of books. I, that is, that is very many books. So yes. that they found them, they're processing them. I guess you'll be able to check them. So Nazi witch books discovered. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be hard to top that one. Himmler's, Heinrich Himmler's personal collection right. of occult yeah. books? Yeah, the only thing that would make the story better is if it had been a secret that he was into the occult, right. and then like people found 13,000 books with Heinrich uh, right. Himmler's So that it was known you know, that this collection plate. existed right. before is a little bit different if it was like suddenly the, all, this thing exists at all. Like it had been, it was right. known and then and then lost. Apparently Himmler himself, one of his ancestors, was burned as a witch. A very, very bizarre story. So I broke our embargo on things being found. 
Um, I'll do a link in the show notes. You can find a little bit more about it. it the news just broke like last week, so I'm not even yeah. sure we know and that much more about it right now. So the new bar that has been set is in order for the embargo to be broken again, a thing must be more interesting than Nazi witch books. Which means we're never talking about it again, I guess. Probably not, yeah, no. I don't, I don't know All what right. else it would be. That's cool. Um, so here we go. A couple other let's, – let's get uh, – let's do our last sponsor, Rich and Pretty. Okay. Um, you want to tell me about this one a little bit? Did you have you looked at this? I, I, yeah, I know a little is, bit about it. It's very interesting. This is huge. It's a huge new debut novel. It's called Rich and Pretty, as you said. It's by Ruman Alam. Uh, it's a debut set in contemporary New York. Uh, it's a sharp, insightful look into how the relationship between two bre- two best friends changes when they're no longer coming of age but learning how to live adult lives. Uh, that's an experience that I had not so many mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, I think many of us and many of the people listening to the show can relate to that time of life. Uh, the style of writing is just really impeccable. There's great humor and such fine detail. Uh, this is a pleasure to read. You don't have to just believe me. Emma Straub and Courtney Sullivan uh, loved the book and have also uh, blurbed it and given it high praise. Uh, Ruman Alam, it's R-U-M-A-A-N, if you're going to go uh, looking for in- more info about the book, uh, explores attachments that we form in childhood and how that friendship, how those shift um, as we adapt to our adult lives. It sounds to me like if you were into The Interestings mm-hmm. by Meg Wallitzer a few years ago, this is another uh, one to keep your eyes on. And a look at how friendship uh, can endure even when our paths diverge and our lives change, uh, which you know does happen as we're no longer growing up, but figuring out how to be grown-ups. Big deal, this book. You can pre-order your copy today. We'll have a link in the show notes for you to check it out. Again, it's called Rich and Pretty. It's a debut novel by Ruman Alam, R-U-M-A-A-N-A-L-A-M. Thanks to them for sponsoring. The thing I, I've seen some people who've been reading early copies say, and my understanding is Ruman Alam is a, is a, is a fella, is a guy. Um, mm. And this is about female friendship and the the sort of shock and awe about how good the depiction of female friendship is written by him. And so that's another layer that if you're interested in that sort of thing, like cross-gender friendship writing problem, you know, how difficult mm-hmm. and interesting yeah, that sort of it's is. it's not um, an easy thing. So uh, that's what first brought, honestly, that's what first brought it to my attention um, to think, look at this book is like um, people we know and trust were saying it's on the, the representation of friendship is unbelievable, especially considering that it's from a man about female friendship. So that's Ruman Alam's Rich and Pretty. Um, and Patchett, I mean, not, not one of our sort of top level ongoing interests, but I'd say she's on the, she's on the, um, She's an opener. She's on the beat. She's on the yeah. beat. Parnassus Books is the 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 bookstore. She does she own it? Co own it? She co owns it. Co owns it, it um, in, Nashville. in Nashville. They are getting their own bookmobile, um, and it sounds kind of like what libraries do with their own bookmobiles. But they're going to go around out into the the community, into the Nashville, and go to events and farmers markets and all sorts mm-hmm. of things. Basically, making the library mobile, selling books, supporting other events going on. This is something I think you and I talked about a long time ago that we thought more independent bookstores could do if they could afford it. Now, it's not super cheap to have a big bookmobile. This is a used truck, so it's it's not Mm -hmm. super fancy. But one thing we know about where independent bookstores are located, they tend to be in, let's say, pretty consistent demographically locations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they only tend to serve, you know, that particular area. Well, with a book truck, you can go to different parts of town. And your independent bookstore can not just be a neighborhood store, but can be a city or community or, 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 or town store, um, especially in cities that don't have a whole bunch of bookstores or, or a whole bunch of independent bookstores. Uh, I think this is great. I mean, it sounds like Patchett's stewardship of that store has been really wonderful. Um, and this commitment to sort of making this the bookstore part of Nashville is something I, you know, I'd like to see more other bookstores do, frankly. I agree. It sounds really cool. Uh, there's a fun nugget buried in this piece about Ann Patchett and Parnassus getting a bookmobile, which is that Little Shop of Stories, which is a great uh, independent bookstore in Decatur, Georgia. I've had the pleasure of visiting them a few times. Also has a book st- uh, uh, bookmobile. They turned a used school bus into a mobile bookstore using a grant they got from James Patterson. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yep. 
There it is. That's what so, we call trickle down bookonomics, right there. A show title, <laughs> uh, and I I think it's just so cool. Like the the New York Times piece mentions that they don't think that bookmobiles are about to become as prevalent as food trucks, and of course not. Like food is much more prevalent than books are in most people's lives. But I would love to see this happen in more cities. And if James Patterson wants to give more independent bookstores money to have bookmobiles and go out into their communities and you know be able to like have a book mobile area like at a music festival or we have a bunch of breweries in Richmond that have food truck rallies and what if the book truck could just be there too. Uh, it would be so cool to be able to have book sales just happen more in our communities as people have opportunities to see them and to pop by and to pick up a book um, rather than having to make a pointed trip out to the bookstore. And a cool way for bookstores to you know reach new readers and find new customers. There's nothing about a bookmobile that I don't love. No, nothing I don't love. Um, last, we've got some weird stories this week, but the last one is about Shakespeare's skull. And I have heard this story. There's a, there's an old tale that apparently grave robbers stole Shakespeare's skull from his burial place. Um, and you know, this is all feeds into the Shakespeare was Francis Bacon or somebody else or the Earl, the eighth Earl of what Mm -hmm. have you. Um, (laughs) uh, but a new team just did a bunch of high tech radar scans of, uh, Shakespeare's tomb, essentially, um, a non-invasive survey so that, you know, kind of like, have you ever seen Jurassic Park, that thing they do at the beginning where like they, they pound the ground and get echo locations mm-hmm. so you can see that. So they're basically doing that without the annoyance of like a giant metal pole they have to shoot into the ground. Um, but under using the radar scans, the team found, and I quote, an odd disturbance at the head end. Um, our equipment could identify a change of material in the burial, adding that the discovery suggests this form material was used to repair the damage um, to the grave. And they include an image of the scan, and it looks like, you know, kind of a fuzzy picture of a of a of a coffin. And mm-hmm. then at the end, it's like it's all busted up, <laughs> right? And looks bad. Um, the old story was that uh, 1794 grave robbers stole his skull from the Holy Trinity Church in Stratford on Avon. That's where this is. And it seems very likely, said one of the researchers, that the skull is not there. Um, the, also, Shakespeare's gravestone has no name on it, which is hmm. interesting. So anyway, I thought that, you know, we've tra- well, we traced uh, Cervantes' bones. We did that story yeah. a while ago. Now we're looking at Shakespeare's skull. Um, we talked about the Brontes being poisoned by mer- mercury, I think, before. So I guess um, literary forensics is something now we're also sort of interested, it turns out. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive, to, that they can do these scans. I, I'm surprised. I guess it makes sense that no one actually dug it up. I mean, you just don't go willy-nilly digging up Into, Can you imagine the Facebook comments the day that someone announces they no. dug up Shakespeare's grave? Yeah. That would be so awesome if, like, <laughs> like if you dug it up and there was just, like, a stone that said nope on it. That's just, like... <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Sucker. So anyway, so and so there's no head. You know, the looks like the evidence suggests that there's pretty, there's some, at least some evidence that, that you'd have a mm-hmm. reason to think it might be gone. Now, where it is, William Shakespeare School is still out there, and we're going after it. Good luck with that, by the way. Uh, uh, yes. And Dan Brown is just like furiously writing oh, stuff down right now. Please, like Shakespeare School, uh, Nazi witch books, like just all, <laughs> let's put it all together. You know, we have not heard from our friend D. Brizzle in a while. He's we got don't too much material. He's working, he's working on like six stories ripped from the head, the bookish headlines. They just need to all come together. Oh, it would be great. It, just we actually, should see it as publicists and just like send him notes. Like, write this one. <laughs> write this one. Can you imagine the mail that Dan Brown gets already of like, I know a mystery that oh, you no. should have. We wouldn't, even make, the, we wouldn't even make the 50th court, the 50th percentile of crazy <laughs> stuff he gets into. I almost cussed there. I'm so, I'm really, so excited, Rebecca. I, almost dro- I know. I almost Robert swore. Langdon, I know, needs he needs to give up symbology. Yes. He's had too many brushes with death. Yes. He needs to become a literary detective. Yeah. It is time. Robert Langdon has retired to Stratford-on-Avon, but gets mixed up in uh, scroll and scroll, scroll, oh. scroll trafficking. And the whole thing is written in iambic pentameter. Yeah, or yes. It's all sonnet forms. Sonnet forms. <laughs> Okay, I guess that's our show. Before one of us is going to pass out from my needs, heart can't I take any more. Take some my cholesterol medication. Take this take care of. As always, you can find show notes to this episode and back episodes of Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Shoot us feedback. Uh, podcast at bookriot.com. Got some for us. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm, I'm at the Jeff O'Neill O N E A L. She's at Rebecca Shinsky S C H I N S K Y. Thanks so much to our three sponsors: Audible, AudiblePodcast.com, Book Riot to get a free trial. 
Penguin Random House Audio. Go check there's gardening stuff out. And Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam. Um, it's out in May, but you can pre-order now and go check it out. Get excited for that book to come out. Um, and that's our show. We'll be back next week. Have a good one. <laughs>